3: Blue moon. you saw me standing low.
2: Welcome to the Man City show. It's Nigel Rothman back in the chair, and to help me celebrate so many things, I've got three guests. Let's start the things that we're going to celebrate on this podcast. We're going to celebrate the fact we're top of the league. We're celebrating the fact we've played six and won six, a derby win. Which took place just outside Manchester It is Joe Docherty's birthday today And city legend Dennis Stewart joins us later on the show um, to, to talk about his book, My Football Journey Well, to help me celebrate all of those things And more besides, because you may have your own list We have got a view from a blue, Stephen Alwise. Good evening And the ever-popular, Lisa Ribinowitz. Good evening uh, Well, before we start, um, we have a special offer for our listeners FanDuel is one-day fantasy football. You select a team of Premier League players for a single round of fixtures, so you're not locked in for the whole season. You can play, watch, and win money, if you've got enough, in just one day. So you play for free, or put your own money on the line for bigger payouts, and we, we've all entered the 7,500 fan favourite this week, which covers the whole weekend's games. It's £5 entry, with £7,500 in prizes going to the top 400 football managers, and it's £750 to first place. You have £100 million to spend, no subs, No captains, just 11 shirts to fill, and the perfect formation to find, so splash out on the dead certs and hunt out the hidden gems. So Fanjul was designed by football fans like us, and is powered by Optostats. It's about much more than goals, assists and clean sheets. Every pass, interception, every tackle, they've all got big implications. Fanjul's scoring reflects a player's true true performance, whatever their position Um, So, we've got an offer for you. If you sign up with the promo code MANCITYSHOW, that's MANCITYSHOW, then FanDuel will return your entry fee as free credit if you don't win cash in your first contest up to a tenner. So that's £5 entry, 7,500 fan favourite that we've all entered using the offer. And enter the team against ours. If you don't win cash, you'll get that entry fee returned as credit so you can play against uh, play again, sorry, for free next week So go to fanduel.co.uk And enter our promo code MANCITYSHOW In the promo code field And sign up um, and bag the offer So there we go um, So, lady and gentlemen um, Can we just talk about Before we get to the Derby win itself What's happened this season? What's different
0: this season? What's new this season? Because it's a bit special It's been brilliant to watch so far Uh, and obviously so much of that is down to the manager not just the style of football I'm sure we'll come on to the style and, and the way in which we played against United especially the first half but it's just so noticeable to look at the players and it's so far without Sané, without Gundogan it's Without Bravo until the Derby, it's been effectively the same squad as last season under Pellegrini. The difference has been so noticeable in terms of energy, and enthusiasm, and willingness to to press the ball and show the quality that we have. Because so often last year it was a bit one-paced, a bit predictable, um, and teams out us and outran us. That's not happening this year. It,
2: it's almost happened immediately. You know, we, we, we're four games in and we, we've won every game.
3: Yeah, it, I'm quite surprised by that, but I'm really pleased to see it. And I think the, the, for me, the big difference, other than the, the manager, has clearly made a um, big difference overall. But it's the effort. And if, if you, and I know we're going to talk about the derby in more detail, but if you think back to last season's derby at the Etihad and how limp a performance that was, it, it just any it doesn't compare to any of the performance we've had this season. There's just they don't stop, but they don't give up. The heads don't drop. They look like they know what they're doing or what the manager wants them to do. He's got a whole new sign language going on on the side of the pitch. Um, but I. I- I'm, st- I'm struggling to be me here because I've got nothing negative to say
2: but but it's interesting Lisa, it's not just kind of when we got the ball and we look great going forward that what's impressed me particularly is when we haven't got the ball it, it's really very noticeable the difference of the work rate and, 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 and just fighting to get that ball back you know you can see they've been it's been drilled into them that they, they, they seem to be working harder than any other team I've ever seen
3: yeah and I think I, I know that some of the new signings haven't been fit yet but I think the fact that they're Coming, going to be ready to play, and now Sarno's back and Gunderwind's now fit. I, I think that is added pressure or an added, added incentive to do what they're being asked to do and to give that effort. I mean, I'm not saying that was a reason for the lack of effort last season, but I, I think it just adds to it as well. Yeah. There
0: the looks as if there's a clear plan. Every time they go out onto the pitch, they know what they're doing. And I'm sure at some games this season, we won't play very well, and we might struggle and not fashion chances. But at the minute, it looks as if whether it's the fullbacks cutting inside, or Fernandinho dropping deeper, or you know the attackers staying wide, they, they look as if they've been drilled relentlessly, and they know what they're doing. And it means that players can come into the side with a specific role, and we just look organised. And who is it who stood
2: out for you in particular? I'm talking of the season as a whole now. Who, who have been the, the, the surprise packages or, or those that have just really stood I out think for
0: you? a lot of focus will be on Stones as big money signing. He was under pressure a little bit at Everton, but has settled in very well and obvious choices in Silver and Fernandinho. The one that I've been a touch surprised, and apart from Kolarov, but we can come on to him, is actually Nalito came into little fanfare, I don't know, 14, 15 million. Yeah. But, and I haven't seen too much of him before joining City he knows what he's doing absolutely perfectly he fits into the system I don't think he's going to win many games single-handedly he's not got necessarily the quality of a Silver or a De Bruyne or a but for Guardiola's system he knew what he wanted Nalito he stays out wide he's energetic in his pressing he tracks back he makes clever runs and he's someone who's brought more balance to the team he didn't mention Sterling.
3: Well, uh, Sterling has had a, a better start to the season than he had at any point in last, in last season. But I still think, you know, we can get a bit too excited about that. He didn't have much to improve on, really. But I am not being i am not being negative about Sterling. He looks much, much better. But I think you could already see, I mean, he's, he's still got a way to go at the weekend. He's not, I mean, he had a by his standards this season, a poorer game, um, which I put down to the curse of winning player of the month. But, um, I, you know, he's, he's got a lot of very good, well, he's got some very good competition now. And um, I think he might struggle to be a starter.
2: But but Nalito in particular I think you made the point already Stephen Completely under the radar Not one of the big money signings But I think he's you know assists and goals He's always the first to go for a cuddle as well And if you notice that anybody scores yeah. He's first and he likes a
0: good cuddle does Nalito It's a bit like Jeff Whitley always used to like a good celebration Yeah But it's it's a sign I can't think of many other of things silent. Jeff Whitley <laughs>
2: no. would be that, that's, that's the thing he's probably known for in his time mm. With the mighty city
0: But it, it's indicative of Guardiola and he, he knew that he needed a ball playing center back so he's gone for stones irrespective of the cost he knew he needed someone in central midfield to dictate the game now we've not seen gundogan but you'd imagine that he was guardiola's first signing when he was injured mm. so you'd have to expect that he's exactly what pep wanted nalito has, has done exactly the same it's the balance and bravo okay mate didn't have the the best of debuts in terms of his handling but actually you can see straight away good with the ball at his feet, Pep's happy with that, wants him to build attacks from the back. It's a manager who absolutely knows what he wants and the club have gone out and got that for him. But
2: talking about the derby, and we should probably come on to that now. I mean, Let's start at the back. And I was uh, quoted elsewhere as saying that actually I don't think he should be starting with Bravo because he didn't have much time with his teammates, um, he didn't necessarily look fit and uh, to throw him in, um, to a derby um, I was really quite surprised and I sort of I, I said he shouldn't and I'm, it's easy to say that now with hindsight but uh, you, you, no, you're, I, not, you're nodding here yeah. you're, you're agreeing
3: I said exactly the same before in fact I really didn't think you would start him I, for well, those very reasons yeah. and I think if you want to say that he's <coughs> made any mistakes so far I think that would be it and okay the result turned out fine but had it not then that's all people would have been talking about yeah. and it still kind of is all people are talking about but I'm not getting, going to stop panicking about Bravo. That's ridiculous. But I was surprised he made the decision to play him.
0: You weren't, um, Stephen? No, I, I think he's been brought in as the number one keeper. Yeah, he's only had a couple of days training, but he's experienced. He knows the style that Guardiola wants to play. Um, I think maybe the lack of communication showed in the goal and I think Stones was actually in control of the situation and Bravo didn't need to come out and claim it. But in terms of the overall play, and Pep said in his press conference before the Champions League game on Tuesday, the keepers will make mistakes. He's asking them to take risks, more risks than most managers, pass out from the back. And if they make a couple of mistakes at the, over a season and that leads to goals, well, that's the consequence. But the upside is the amount of times that we build attacks from the back, which is what Guardiola is obsessive about. So I think it was right to start him. If if... Rolls had been reversed And uh, Caballero Had started And made that mistake Pet will have got slated For bringing in A number one Having shipped out A very popular number one hmm. And then left him On the bench He looked an excellent Centre back Have a
2: say Great good feet Good touch Passed it out very well I did think you know it wasn't Pep sort of understandably sort of made out as though it was a marvellous debut and he was delighted with him but he, he did look shaky on occasions didn't he I don't think that's it I think Lisa's right it's not going to concern us for the whole of the season now and so we should sort of ship Joe back and sort of try and get him back from his loan period
3: who also apparently made a mistake this weekend so. I saw that yeah yep.
0: but yep. it's the English way of looking at things we want a keeper who is a good shot stopper a defender who throws his body and makes countless blocks a central midfielder would go sliding in everywhere and it's part of the reason why we like de Jong and why we liked Richard Dunn actually Pep is trying to get ahead of the game wants a keeper who anticipates and is proactive in his positioning and it will lead to mistakes and I'm sure there'll be times this season Stones tries to be too elaborate or Otamendi tries to bring the ball out one too many times but actually the positives of doing that outweigh the occasional error.
2: And the style of football, sort of moving away from the keeper and talking about the team as a whole. You know, we talked about that first half against West Ham, and and similarly at Old Trafford, uh, it was breathtaking at times.
3: I just I don't, I don't know what I'm watching. It feels like, and, and considering we are like like um, Stephen's already said, we are talking about largely the same team. It's 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 like it, they're unrecognisable and they're just the movement is constant if someone goes out of position i'm not even sure i can even say they're out of position and someone else is filling in somewhere i'm not worried about it when that happens anymore already i'm not looking at it thinking oh my goodness please get back to where you're supposed to be because i don't think that's how it's working no one's supposed to be anywhere necessarily they're mm-hmm. all working as a team. A re- like And that, I think, is a big thing. They have to really play as a team in this kind of system.
0: And you, Nigel, said it at the start that we expected it to take time. But within, what is it, six weeks, two months maybe, mm-hmm. we just, we looked formidable. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew what they were doing. Silver, the trio in the middle of Fernandinho, Silver, De Bruyne, were just on a different level to not just in that game but anything we've seen for a long time in the Premier League and actually I don't think Kaléchi played very well and I don't think Sterling played very well and yet to look as dominant as we did and create as many chances as we did it was just breathtaking football
2: I I have to sort of talk about Kevin De Bruyne first I think because he was outstanding Uh, and I have compared him potentially to the great Colin Bell Um, and it's performances like that 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 really make me feel as though that might well come true now he's got amazing boots to fill and it's a bit of a I don't want to tempt fate because Colin Bell probably for me is the best player excuse me I've ever seen wear a sky blue shirt but potentially when you see him put in a performance like that it was was world class
0: it's something we were discussing off air actually before that up until the derby this season De Bruyne not that he'd had a poor start to the season but was on the fringes of a game you know, a lot of our play went through Silver, a lot through Fernandinho and Sterling, but actually De Bruyne wasn't too heavily involved. And yet he changed that completely in the derby. It was such intelligent movement. He was finding so much space. And then, whereas I think Silver controls the game more and dictates the tempo, whether we play one touch or, or just take the sting out, De Bruyne in the final third has such a, a consistent impact of scoring or assisting and he makes things happen and he can change the game in an instant he's he's an outstanding player
3: yeah i mean i um we, we were discussing um how he'd been <sighs> the first few matches and i just felt that he he was kind of missing a lot of the time i wouldn't necessarily have noticed it if you'd have told me he wasn't playing i wouldn't have disagreed with you but this was just something else and and a lot was made before the match about ibrahimovic and guardiola but not so much about the fact that Mourinho, let let De Bruyne leave Chelsea, and I think someone proved their point a little bit more than the other one. Let's say
2: Fernandinho was arrested uh, leaving Old Trafford. Have you heard this with uh, eighty nine million in his back pocket? I don't know if you'd heard that, but that was uh, it. Was because it was all about Pogba. It was all about Ibrahimovic. It was all about and, and I mean Pogba literally went missing, and and Fernandinho we've said it before I think he's the most underrated player in the Premier League no one talks about him
0: I was about to say he's been doing this for for season after season now he's and he's in a sense for the last two years been in Yaya's shadow for better and for worse Mm that everyone focuses on Yaya and if he had a poor game then no one talks about Fernandinho having to, to cover in midfield and doing the job of two men he's got incredible energy bombs up and down knows exactly where he's meant to be tactically very aware but then the quality he has on the ball as well he can he's comfortable playing these one touch passes with your silvers and de bruyne's and he's 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 just an all-round excellent footballer and should be getting more praise I, I don't mind him not getting the
2: praise. I quite like the idea, actually, of him being, you know, under the radar, if you like, and, and just getting on with his job and, and people not mentioning him. It's yeah. perfect.
3: As long as it doesn't bother him, it doesn't bother me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I think you can get too much um, attention and it can work the opposite way. And I, you know, I mean, I'm not comparing the two players, but when Milner played for us and I really liked Milner, and I think a lot of people don't appre- didn't appreciate the kind of work rate you got get from Milner until he plays for your team. Like, I know a lot of Liverpool fans now who didn't think anything of him until he went there and now love him. So, yeah, I, I think it's a shame Fernandinho doesn't get as much recognition, but
0: I'm not so bothered. He still gets paid, I think, doesn't
2: he? He's yeah, still, I think, paid yeah. I'm, I'm not going to
3: cry but, for him. But
0: the first half, you know, he was playing in the deeper role, mm. dropping between the centre-backs, but then linking up with everyone and and just providing us with that base and then in the second half fernando came on and had i think it was his first game time in the premier league under pep was excellent and it allowed fernandinho to move forward and then you saw that the creativity and the energy and there's a nutmeg in the last couple of minutes and you know he could have gone on to score but He's, he's got every attribute that you look for in a midfielder these days. Just going back to Colechi as well, just sort of
2: maybe the one negative, because we're all struggling a bit in terms of trying to find a, a negative to say, that he, uh, yeah, listen, one assist and, and a great assist, got it well and uh, took his goal well, but I guess, you know, Migrani could have scored that. Uh, so we could say great game, but actually didn't always make the right decision all the way through the whole 90 minutes.
3: Yeah, I think I'm, he is still young and... Definitely has a lot to learn, and I don't know that he's going to get the time to do that because there's, we don't need to play with him there. Because Aguero is not available, we can play with Sonne instead. And he was making the wrong decisions on a number of occasions, and I don't know whether it's just because he wants to make that killer pass that everyone's going to talk about forever, rather, or if he's just not capable of making the right decisions yet. But when you, he's got three options. Go for the easy one. <laughs> I think mean, he's got
0: an excellent goal-scoring record, um, something like nine in thirteen starts, something like that. But I think there's a lot to learn. His first touch is is often a misplaced one. Uh, he does make a few wrong decisions, tries too much at times. But he's got the perfect manager to to help him work on that. And Aguero can't play every game, and there are other options. I think Nolito and Sterling and Sane can all do that job, and De Bruyne, but. It was a big show of, of faith from Pep to say to Kelechi, Aguero's injured, so you're going to play up front. You're my second striker. He had so many options, didn't he, to be fair? And it's, uh... and not, he, he did his job. He, he scored one and, and made another, but I think his overall play uh, struggled a little.
2: And what about the new signings we've touched on? Them. Can we just talk about Sane? I'm not sure if we saw enough of him to, to make an assessment, but great to see him fit enough to come on. And uh, any, any initial thoughts? As I say no, we only got, what, 20 minutes out of him,
0: if that hey, He looked... I thought after the 20 minutes, half an hour, it looked as if he was physically struggling. But even in that time, you can see he's quick, strong, powerful, likes to run with the ball. Um, it'd be interesting to see maybe him on the left, which is more natural for him rather than being on the right and, and having to cut in every time. But look, he's another young pacey. He's, we're going to create so many chances this year that you have to think he's going to get the opportunities to to show what he can do. And I'm sure we'll be able to pronounce his name Equally the same
2: Gundogan, Gun, Gundogan whatever he's called um, Any thoughts? Not not played yet There's talk of him maybe playing this week Against Borussia Mönchengladbach I'm not sure if he's going to play a full game Maybe he's going to be in the squad Any of you sort of seen much of him Know much of him particularly? I, I, I don't no. he's, he's Obviously as you've made the point Stephen Clearly Pep has seen something in him He was his first Pep, signing Pep
0: saw him every week when he was in Germany hmm. And playing for, for rivals And clearly thought despite the fact he's injured, he's exactly who I want in the centre of midfield to play the type of game I want to. And we've not seen anything so far to make us uh, lack trust in Pep. So Absolutely. let's go along with it.
2: I thought it was ironic that the first goal was kind of route one football. Having said all of this, is was hilarious in a way, just a big hoof down the pitch from your mate, Kolarov, sort of flicked on by Kelechi and uh, one touch and bang in it was. So uh, not quite what we're used to seeing or expecting, but I thought that was quite ironic in a way.
3: But just goes to show that we can play in different ways maybe
2: Uh, I'm surprised you haven't raised the ref because normally sitting here um, you you normally mentioned that so I thought I'd raise it for you that uh, presumably Mr Rooney's right he should have had a penalty
0: and uh, and also our keeper should have been sent off I think he may have a point on that, that one not sure Rooney should have been on the pitch at the end of the game he did very well only to get one yellow card for about six bookable offences
2: How is that? Come on, because I, I led you into that I gave you the line, perfect line, I expected that's my answer as well. How on earth did he get away with that?
0: Uh, I think Klattenberg was lenient which isn't necessarily a bad thing in a derby. If you'd have booked Rooney for his first challenge then you'd probably have to book a lot more players after that and you risk losing control.
2: We're not asking for the first one but he but was, fifth, six, he, was too, he
0: was too lenient and why is that? Who knows? I think actually on the penalty it was, um, you needed a few replays to be sure. I I think we may have got away with one there.
3: Yeah, I think we probably were lucky there. But the, the situation with Rooney seems to be a relatively constant conversation. So I don't think it's just when he plays against us. It's not personal.
2: Special dispensation for Mr Rooney, maybe.
3: Well, it would appear so.
2: Very good Shall we uh, look forward to Borussia Mönchengladbach then uh, This week, Tuesday night this week At the Etihad Um, We heard sort of Pep's press
0: conference And and
2: thoughts on that in terms of team selection
0: I think we look forward to every game we play now Because they seem to be getting better every game Or there'll be some tactical tweak that that we haven't realised I think probably both fullbacks will change Zabaleta and Clichy may well come in Other than that Aguero will probably return knowing that he'll have to sit out the, the Premier League game against Bournemouth afterwards. Change Navas, potentially. Um, but there's not a huge amount, if company's not quite ready uh, or they don't want to risk him from the start and Gundogan's not quite ready and Sané's probably not ready to start, there's not actually too much depth in the squad. You looked at the bench at Old Trafford, you had Aleix Garcia on the bench. You're not going to start him in a, a Champions League game. I think Delft's carrying a slight niggle Fernando potentially as well. So it's gonna be probably very much the same team, couple of changes, but it's that you can see they're confident and they want to go out and play.
3: Oh, I've got nothing to add. <laughs> this is so what, what this said. Is terrible. What he no. Um I, I think it will be good if the if Gundogan can get some time on the pitch and Sane as well, because Obviously, they're both coming back from injuries, and but that's probably going to depend on what the score is—the 60th minute, or that's Pellegrini's time. Um, but I don't think it's such a necessarily such a bad thing that there won't be that many changes because we're still getting used to this. I know we've done very well, but it is still we're getting used to the style of play, and we can't we we can't keep it at that level for much more than a half at the moment. And I think that need that just is the stamina thing and, uh, and um, having more um, chances to play like that so uh, it, there's a lot of games but they're confident and it's it's not a bad thing to be playing the similar side
0: Silva's one that looking forward I think you look to to really look after and rotate we all know his, his ankle injuries in the past and he's covering far more ground this season than I think he ever has done and as a team we're running more than we have done So he's not someone you want to just run into the ground. So there are options if Delph and Yaya, someone we've not mentioned, and Fernando are fit, you can always bring them in. And I think Silva might get a rest against Bournemouth.
2: So looking at Bournemouth end at the weekend, then I think uh, I think we've already made the point, haven't we, that, that he's probably going to keep it very similar. I would have thought, isn't he? You know, we've had success. He's got a few options, but it will depend, I suppose, on any any injuries from from Tuesday night's game. But essentially, we're looking for a, a very similar squad, similar setup to uh, to the Bournemouth game, and we've got to go into that feeling pretty positive I would have thought if we can beat Stretford um, on their patch and, and, and everybody else before us you'd like to think that the Bournemouth game should be three points
3: I would have thought so and I think I also think he will probably start with Zianaccio again um, because there's I mean he wasn't awful and there's no reason not to and it gives him an opportunity to, to carry on learning um, but I think you might be right about Silva but again that's also going to depend on or Fernando or maybe he might play Navas but um we should be really confident going into this game.
2: But the beauty about just a straight swap, of course, is he can keep everything else the same. I mean, all yeah. all the other options he had meant making significant changes in terms of you know moving people from playing out wide, playing them out of position technically in the, in the centre. So by, being, by bringing Kalecci just as a straight swap, he
0: can keep his wide men as they were. Yeah, and- it might be a, a completely different game against Bournemouth if they decide we'll sit back ten men behind the ball and actually you've not then got so much space for... De Bruyne and Silva between the lines you might rely more on Navas and Sterling and Elito out wide or maybe full backs bombing on us as we've been used to over the years but I I trust Pep will have a plan to cope
3: I just don't I don't think Bournemouth generally sit and put 10 men behind the ball they actually in fairness to them actually come and try to play football
0: you'd back us to, to win that
3: yeah I think that they've got a potential problem there at Bournemouth because if they do that and we play the way we've been playing the past few games then they're going to have an interesting trip
2: We look forward to that And the game against Brussels you mentioned Gladbach on Tuesday uh, Quick prediction then uh, Bruce, you mentioned Gladbach Easy for me to say uh, Lisa, three clear goals
3: I was going
2: to say 3-1 3-1 I was going to second that And say 3-1 as oh, well Very good uh, And Bournemouth Quick prediction for Bournemouth as well Stephen, you kick off with that 4-0 To Bournemouth City
3: <laughs> <laughs> Um I still think we're going to concede, I'd say 4-1, maybe 5-1.
2: Lots of goals going to be raining in at the Etihad this week. It's now come to uh, the time where we speak to City legend and one of my favourite all-time players, the great, the one and only, Dennis Stewart. Dennis, hello, how are you?
1: Good evening, good evening.
2: Really good to have you on the show, Dennis, thank you very much. Before we get on to the book, I think probably the most appropriate place might be to start is your view of our fantastic performance at Old Trafford and the Derby at the weekend.
1: Well, it's interesting, now because I've just finished about a month or so ago, finished reading Pep Confidential, which is Pep's book, authorized book, about his first year at Bayern and how he approached uh, it, working with Bayern Munich, who just won the Treble, the Champions League, Bundesliga, and the German Cup, uh, and how he worked worked on, on them and, and changed them in the way to his thinking. And it was fascinating the way he was looking for mobile players and with Philip Lamb from right back to uh, what he calls the pivot before in front of the the uh, back four and he moved Javi Martin there from some s- central midfield position to the centre back because as we see with John Stones he wants all his back men to be comfortable carrying the ball
2: uh, absolutely and we've also got obviously Fernandinho of course dropping deeper as well and almost playing between the centre backs as well so they're, they're all they're all mobile um,
1: all inter- interchangeable which causes problems for opposition teams who are looking to, to mark anyone in particular because they're so mobile they can't they don't stay in one place for one moment
2: And who stood out for you Particularly Dennis this season It's obviously been a phenomenal start I think it's six wins in six games Um, So first half performances Against uh, Stretford And and against West Ham Particularly stand out for me As being awesome performances But who stood out for you In particular this season
1: Well for me I think the the, the, Again referring back to his book Is that central midfield area Uh, And for me it's Fernandinho, Silva and De Bruyne Yeah I mean outstanding And uh, they just Just absolutely run the show On Saturday uh, but it was an accumulation of all of them um, working together to create that uh, that little bit of a what, what, again what um, uh, what Guardio calls his, his, his main pivot spelled so P O V P I V O T E with an E on the end and he like that 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 central midfield area is critical for what he what his uh, strategy is.
2: Well, we look forward to many performances like that to come because we're looking pretty unbeatable at the moment and it's very exciting. Well, that,
1: that's the challenge. That'll be the challenge now because now he's got to get his team up again after that intense uh, and they are working hard. Apparently, we, we worked nearly six kilometres. We ran nearly six kilometres more than Man United on Saturday. So yep. he's now got to manage the physical side of the of the, uh, the, the squad now and uh, it'll be interesting to see who he, he puts out for the Borussia Mönchengladbach game tomorrow night.
2: Because we were saying earlier on on the show, Dennis, that it's not so much as the work rate when we got the ball it's 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 really noticeable when we haven't got the ball the amount of effort and and, and running that the team put in to get that ball back it, it's it's well, really appa- clear to see
1: Apparently I heard he had this implemented into uh, the, the Barcelona training programme and actually had a klaxon on the uh, <laughs> training pitch and the players <laughs> had seven seconds to get the ball back in, in their possession before the klaxon went off
2: Brilliant So
1: Brilliant. it was inbuilt in, in into the mind about the timing so they worked together uh, it wasn't just one, one player in isolation, it was groups of players.
2: Amazing. L- listen, let's move on to the book, Dennis, which is called My Football Journey, which, which I've read, which is a, a brilliant read, as I say, as a City fan. And obviously it's, it's ironic. I, one of my favourite photographs of my father is him sitting outside Wembley in 1955 with his City rosette, popping on his pipe having been deeply depressed with Newcastle sort of beating us in the FA Cup and that I guess from reading yeah. the book is one of your earliest memories being a Newcastle lad and being hoisted on your father's shoulders as the team came back so that, 50, that, that he- 55 Cup final was your pretty much one of your first footballing memories I guess
1: absolutely well obviously that Newcastle team of that, that, that era was iconic and very successful
2: but but you were rejected by them as a boy. How did that feel? I'm
1: afraid I'm afraid so. Yeah, as a as a goal scoring centre forward, I'd been playing for Newcastle Schoolboys from the age of eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. But when I got to fifteen, when clubs were finally made a decision over whether to take you on as an apprentice, um, I hadn't grown at all. And Newcastle Schoolboys even um, they had a young a young player a year younger than me, but a big bustling centre forward called Paddy Lowry. Who was actually, in fact, he was the Wayne Rooney of the '60s, strange enough, because he, sc- he scored goals for fun all his all his school uh, years, and every club in the country were after him. he signed for Newcastle in the end. But uh, uh, at 15, he played centre forward, uh, a year young, than, younger than me. Uh, but because Newcastle Schoolboys wanted my goal scoring in the team, they still wanted me there. But they, we had a good right winger, so what they did then, they pushed me onto the left wing. So in essence, I came. Way ahead of my time, because I, I came probably the first right-footed left-winger. So I was certainly right-footed, but then by the time I, I signed for Manchester City uh, a, bit, a few years later, I'd worked so hard on my left foot, I could use both.
2: And, and how did it come about that you moved from Newcastle to their, 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 their arch-rival Sunderland just down the road? How did that come about?
1: Well, they, they, again, they have been watching me all through my school days, but when I, when I got to 15, again, because I hadn't grown... They decided not to take me. So I stayed on a school to take some more GCSEs. Uh, and then uh, one of my sports teachers, who was a great uh, mentor of mine, um, he um, recommended me to Ch- a guy called Charlie Ferguson, who was the famous Sunderland scout. Because at that time, Sunderland had a fabulous youth system going. Uh, and Charlie looked at me, and uh, he, he, g- he took a gamble on me by giving me a one-year schoolboy form. So I still stayed on a school, but... Uh, on a Tuesday and Thursday night, I'd have to get two buses, one from my school to the city centre of Newcastle, another bus from the city centre of Newcastle towards Sunderland, and then a 20-minute walk from the bus stop down to Roker Park to get training on a Tuesday and Thursday night. So it was a two hours two hours then, two hours back in the evening, so I wasn't getting home until about 10 o'clock in the evening. Tuesday and Thursday, and if I was lucky, I played in the, uh, the youth team on a Saturday, which I did break into the youth team and. Uh, uh, as a year younger the, the, the team won that youth cup that year
2: and I also read that you, you love training not not every footballer loves that but that's something you've always enjoyed and you've always worked hard on the training pitch
1: oh I'm infatuated in fact you know just before we before we do this I've just been to the gym today you know just to have a little work I go to the gym about three or four times a week and uh, I can't run anymore because of uh, i looked up to the Achilles 10 in the many city fans remember when I was mm. 32 and uh, I was out for nine months and uh, even, though I've done three marathons and ten half marathons. It's finally caught up on me, up with me, and uh, I can't really do any impact work now. I can't run on the hard ground, so I have to uh, sit on this stationary bike and do some workout or go on the cross trainer, which is no impact.
2: But, but going back to those early days, I, I was amused to read that your your first pay packet was uh, sixteen quid a week. You were offered fifteen, but I think you brilliantly ne- negotiated up to sixteen quid a week, which, yeah, you, which is hard really to, hard to believe, isn't it, Dennis? In this day and age, pushed so
1: push the limits push the limits from 15 pound to 16 pound a week
2: it's unbelievable when you look back now and know what sort of what's going on in the world it's it's incredible really isn't it uh,
1: it is incredible but it's it's and i love the word evolution i think it's it's, football's evolved uh and with the amount of commercial revenue and the global football profile that we have now you know if there's money in the game the players are quite entitled to have a big share
2: I'm keen to talk about the boardroom and, and this, this, you talk about your journey and of course you're, you're, you're unique in many ways in terms of the journey that you've had. But, but before that, um, we have to talk about the 1976 overhead kick. Uh, ironically against Newcastle United, of course, in the League Cup final. And, and there's a brilliant picture, one of my favourite, a real iconic City picture of you with your eye on the ball um, and that amazing overhead kick that, that won the Cup for City. Um, just talk us about, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear from the man himself well, about I, that moment.
1: Yeah, but I'd already been pretty good at, at, at volleying even throughout my career. And, and my brother thinks I scored a better volley uh, for some against Oxford in, in, I think it was August 1973, just before I signed for Man City, this was a side volley, uh, and I'd always been pretty good at volleying, um, but I'd always been fairly mobile, again, um, uh, mobile playing left, up because of my, my natural game, I'd been playing centre-forward. Uh, so when I uh, became a wide man, uh, I could play right side, left side, or move into the middle. So when Willie Donegan, that particular day, uh, got the ball and was tacking down the left side, all I did was make my way to the box. Um, just to get get anything that dropped down, you know, because there's no, and I didn't go to the far post because it's no good me going to the far post. But I just tucked in behind, and uh, at that time, if you remember Tommy Booth, who'd taken over from the the sadly injured Colin Bell, mm-hmm. he played right side midfield for us, and Tommy was excellent in the air. And as the ball went to the far post, I just tucked inside into the box, hoping for something dropping down, and Tommy got his head to it. And, and I've had a discussion with Dennis Law about this before, because Dennis was my schoolboy hero, and I had a few months as a uh, as a, in, a time with him at Man City before he retired mm. and uh, you know when the ball comes to you, as a goal scorer you just make sure you try and get anything on the ball you know contact you know where the goal is the goals the goal posts don't move <laughs> uh, and, and up, up and away you and you've got to be brave and again volleying you know I'd been pretty good at volleys to get off the ground it was to me it was it wasn't it wasn't difficult.
2: And, and that photo, it is an iconic picture. You must have uh, one or two coppers of that around your house, I would have thought, haven't I mean, you? I certainly would if it was oh, big.
1: Actually, I was actually, about I five or six years ago, I was presented uh, by the Football League because it was voted the, most, the, the best moment in the 50 years of the League Cup final. Mm. And I was presented by the Football League with a framed photograph of the girl, but I already had one on the, uh, on the wall. My, my, my son's bought me one that... They found an oil painting in Manchester, actually painted of it.
2: Brilliant! And they Brilliant. bought
1: me that. Now there so are I've got that one alongside the other one.
2: Wonderful. And before we finally, before we get onto the border, and there aren't many people um, who can say that they replaced Pele, and that's you <laughs> going to New York Cosmos, and uh, and say not many people say I replaced Pele.
1: Yeah, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a roundabout way. I'd, I'd fallen out with uh, when I came back from rehabilitation on one of my hamstring injuries, and uh, I'd uh, disagreed with. Uh, Tony Book about my my, my position in the, in the team because they, they had a very young Peter Barnes coming into the, the team mm-hmm. at the time who was mm-hmm. very good and had Mick Shannon uh, so he bought a couple of players and uh, he didn't think that I was I was worthy of a straight back in the team and I disagreed so I said fine not not a problem you know footballers have got to make difficult decisions so I asked for a transfer and they granted it and then uh, first the first thing I did was uh, uh, I was approached by an agent who was working over in, in uh, in america at the time america was a real in its its early stages and uh, i knew this chap from london he wasn't really an agent as such but he was a sort of a uh, sort of a busybody as you could understand mm. and he said you know that the cosmos might be interested in in signing you mm. i was like that's interesting Don't, this is in november of the 77. well their season didn't start till um march of 78 so i said well yeah there's an interest but uh, just let's see how it goes and they said, yeah, they're interested. So as the November went on into December, then they were definitely interested. They approached the club and agreed a fee of £235,000 for me. And then, lo and behold, Manchester United came in for me huh. and uh, agreed a fee, and they wanted to sign me. So I had a meeting with Dave Sexton, who was the then manager, and Les Olive, who their secretary. Strange enough, I had that meeting in Tony Book's house in Sale in here in Manchester, <laughs> uh, and... To, uh, on the back of it, that evening I was I was I was um, playing in a uh, pro celebrity squash game because I was a squash player at the time and Freddie Griffiths, um, our, our physio, had been asked to uh, get a player to replace because I replaced um, John Cleese who was going to be playing Leonard Rossiter in the in the celebrity <laughs> the celebrity match at uh, it a place called uh, Carriages and Royals and it was a squash centre and club. And he asked me if I'd step in for uh, John Cleese. So I said, yeah, that's where I was going that evening. And I was going with Bill Taylor, who was the then coach at Man City. And when I got to the, the squash club, Bill said, how did it go this afternoon? I said, yeah, fine, no problem. He says, uh, are they a better team than us at the minute? I says, well, not quite, but he's going to develop it. And he says, are they offering you more money than we are? I said, yeah, a little bit. He said, well, really, why are you doing it? Why are you moving there? I said, yes, you're right. And I actually rang... Um, uh martin edwards from the the reception at, at this squash club and called the deal off with man united huh. uh, and then after that i got a call from a journalist friend of mine who was very good friends with brian clough and he said a friend of mine would like to be interested to see if you want to want to sign for him would you talk to him i said yeah fine so 24 hours later in the evening i got a call from peter taylor running <laughs> forest huh. Said, yeah, we're very interested in signing you. I said, first of all, I want to no, know two things. First of all, would you like to play for Nottingham Forest? Secondly, uh, how much do you want? <laughs> very straight to the point. And I said to Peter, I said, Peter, I'm, I'm flattered. It really is. You've thrown me really uh, in a corner with this one. I said, because, of, and I explained the New York situation, because that really was getting my, it was really wetting my appetite. We got a little bit of coverage over here on the television about the, what was the explosion over there. Pelé had been playing and Beckenbauer had gone there. Carlos Alberto, the place was bouncing. And uh, my wife and I didn't have any children at the time, so it was an opportunity to go and experience a, a new world. And I just said to Peter, you know, can I have 24 hours to, to chew it over? He said, fine, no problem. He rang me back the next night, as he said. We had a great chat. I said, Peter, I really fancy this New York thing. I know I've got to hang on till sort of February, March, but I'd really fancy it. He said, no, nope. we had a good chat about football for about 15, 20 minutes. He wished me well, and off he went. So uh, I was left with uh, the option to go to, to New York, and then... When I finally went, agreed the, team, the, the deal over here, and then uh, if, just after Christmas, and then I had to go over there for um, for my final signing. And uh, whilst my accountant and solicitor were doing the final transaction on the paperwork, they put me and my wife in another room to watch the video from the, the, the 1977 season, which is Pele's last season. Huh. And as I'm sitting there watching the team and watching who who was playing and that they're going to be playing, I went blimey. I'm replacing Pelé here... there was no pressure there no pressure
2: so, so, yeah. you, so you, re, you replaced Pelé and John Cleese which is, which is a, probably a, a, u, a unique double act uh, we're running out within
1: of a, th- within a couple
2: of months we're running out of time slightly here Dennis I'm really keen finally just to talk about your time on the board because I was talking about this unique position you know moving from p- player right the way through to the boardroom and of course you you did have some interesting times didn't you And it, it, you were there really at the start of that whole sort of renaissance of Manchester City Football Club so, so well, briefly do you, do you just talk well about that journey it?
1: It's been well recognised that if we had, hadn't have done and got together with David Bernstein and John Wardle and a, a good bunch of people who love Manchester City and turned the club round because it was an, it was a, it was a the place was a shambles. We, we, were, we were suffocating in debt. Uh, we had players who had been coming in and out of the club, uh, taking money and going. We had, it was like a revolving door of Georgians, Scandinavians, Germans, not interested in the club at all. We had some nice people in the in the back office, but nice people who weren't aspirational, and was happy to come in at nine and go home at five. We wanted to, have to change the, 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 the full culture because I knew that the club was, a, was a, a supermarket, not a corner shop. So we had to change a lot of people. And then I was given the job of working with Jim Cassell in the academy. We then, by decision to change, um, to bring in Joe Royal, I felt Joe was good at that level. Uh, city man and man through and through. Mm. Joe did a fabulous job for us, Uh, got us, after going down, we got us straight up, and I put initiative together when we went down the third level, because I said to David Bernstein, Mr. Chairman, we have to galvanize everybody, both on and off the pitch, because my business is in the video and conference production business about presentations, dealing with all PLCs and large companies, and the three things you have to have would be a successful club, sorry, and and company. Stability, unity, and team spirit. If you've got a good product on the back of that, you'll fly. So we had to start from the bottom and build up the teams, the camaraderie, the, uh, the desire, bring in aspirational people and we did that I put an initiative together for our supporters to get people to go out to their monthly branch meetings, we had about 80 odd branches and I said we need somebody to go out and talk to them and tell them what we're doing, tell them we've had problems, we've got this, tell them about, you, you've got to tell them about the warts, don't try and gloss it over, you've got to be honest and truthful with them and we had all sorts of people from the club going out there Nigel, directors, management, Players going all all around to our branches, singing from the same song sheet, telling them, you know, we need them, we need them. And they were fantastic. They really was a great first year, you know. And then we eventually ended up at Wembley against Gilliam. And, and after Gilliam scored the second goal, I was dead. I thought, that's it. Because we couldn't afford to carry the debt another year. We would have to have a, set, a fire sale of players. The debt was so so dramatic. And, but never mind, uh, we survived that, and I guess you can say the rest is history.
2: Exactly, as uh, Paul Dickhoff stood up and the rest is history. Listen, I, I wish we had more time, Dennis. The, the book is called uh, My Football Journey uh, by Dennis Stewart. It's by VSP, Vision Sports Publishing. Dennis, it's been an absolute thrill and a pleasure for me to spend time with you. And I'm sure well, I'll One thing I'd as like as to all.
1: stress now that all my royalties from the book go to the Christie, the children's hospital, all the Christie uh, for cancer.
2: That's brilliant. And much appreciated, Dennis. I really appreciate your time. Hopefully we'll have you back on another time. But uh, in the meantime, thank you to my guest, Lisa Rabinowitz, uh, to Stephen Allwise and the legend that is Dennis Stewart. This is Nigel Rothman saying thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon. If you like this podcast, come and join me, Mark Webster, for the Whistleblowers, a weekly show that looks at the topics that all football fans are discussing this week at whistleblowers.net. And it happens to be brought to you by the same lot that produced this one.